0: You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. So, today we are going to step into something that I am excited about. (laughs) I have to tell myself that, all right? Because today we're going to be talking about engaging a counterculture like Jesus would. Engaging a negative culture the way Jesus would. All right, everybody buckle up. Open up your Bibles. I want you to just turn them to John 4. And we're going to read the story of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman here in just a second. But as we have uh, talked about, today being Pentecost Sunday, there was a very interesting conversation that took place that I absolutely, absolutely love. I love this conversation because it ties right into this idea. So why in the world will we be talking about um, handling a counterculture or a negative culture in our society the way that Jesus did? Well, just very simply, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. It's because it's your responsibility to change it, according to the Bible. Yeah. I'm so proud. I'm going to do something else that I've never done. I'm going to do it. I am uh, so proud. And listen, please just hear my heart on this, okay? I'm proud of the way that our superintendent from Port Natchez Groves, ISD, (laughs) handled a very, very sensitive um, topic, standing on truth and executing a great amount of grace and love. I believe that, okay. And so I'm thankful for that. But one thing that that causes us to recognize is, isn't this the truth. The one thing that it causes us to recognize is that there is, this is almost a dust statement, that there's a shift in our culture. There's a couple of different options on how to attack a shift. Politically, yeah. I mean, it has to happen. We live under a system of politics. But well, there's a bigger responsibility, and that responsibility lies within the body of Christ, the church. And that responsibility can be handled several different ways. It can be handled by stepping up onto the soapbox of what is right. Now, I need you to please hear me, and I need you to please understand something, is that there is an imperative on our lives as the body of Christ to stand up for what is, the Bible says is truth. Why? Because there is, not another, there is not a higher truth than the Word of God. But there is this duplicitous side that we must approach when we stand up for truth. And it's this, is that we dispense grace with truth. Because that's what Jesus is. John chapter 1 tells us this, that Jesus, the Word made flesh, came in grace and truth. He was a fulfillment of grace and truth. What does that mean? Truth is not easy to receive unless it comes packaged with grace. Why is that important to understand? Because truth, just for the sake of being right, is not biblical truth. Why? Because in John 8.32, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and what does the truth do? Sets you free. So truth must bring freedom. Freedom. And freedom comes through the revelation of Jesus Christ in grace. Because he is grace and truth. Okay, So, we understand that. So now we have to understand our role and responsibility. I kind of smacked you in the face a little bit when I looked at you and said, it's your job. Well, it still is. It's our job. See, the disciples had this question at the ascension that I absolutely love. This is the, this is the question. Now, again... Please just slow your thinking way down and try to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Their minds are blown. Have you all seen that commercial lately where like the, like, I don't know which one, what commercial it's even for, but the people are like talking all of a sudden, their tops of their heads blow off and purple dust comes out. I can imagine the disciples being very close to that, like, here's this dude, they're thinking about he, he walked on water like did y'all did y'all see you remember that time he walked on, he walked he walked dead Peter did he walk on water? Yeah, he walked on water. did you see him remember when he raised that 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 dead boy, that widow womans that widow woman's only son that yeah that dude that dude was dead, right he was dead right he wasn't faking that wasn't an elaborate thing no, he was dead, he was dead, dead, dead. My cousin knew him he was dead. Remember when he said he had to leave and like he said like and I was like Peter was like all oh, like I'm never gonna deny him. Uh-uh uh uh-uh. I got his back for life. We're you know we're homies for life. And and of course he's on being being tried, and you know, Peter runs from a teenage girl. And like when when we watched him die, right? I mean he got nails like right, like big old spiky nails right there, and they whipped him like we couldn't even recognize who he was. And we saw his eyes and we knew who he was and we knew it was him and we had to watch from a distance and 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 we just we can't believe it. And like he died. We watched him take his last breath. We heard the words that he said come out of his mouth. We watched him get wrapped. We saw him be placed in Josephus' tomb. We saw that. But then, but then just just remind me, pinch me, guys, pinch me. Like he showed back up, right? Like he walks straight through that wall. And he's like, hey, hey, don't trip out because like, feel, feel the marks. Here's my point. The disciples were living in this mind-blown condition. And so, of course... The question that comes out in Acts chapter 1, as they are watching Jesus do his last final crazy thing, he's ascending into heaven. And the best way I can do that is what's in your mind too, like levitating up. Jesus is going up saying, goodbye, y'all, like doing the pageant wave, you know, like see y'all later. I'm going to be up there. And the disciples go, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, Jesus, when are you going to come and restore the kingdom back in Israel in Jerusalem let me let me let me just thread that down for you really quick The disciples' minds were blown. They watched Jesus do the impossible and fulfill everything he said he would do. And then they said, Jesus, go ahead and let your final act be cleaning up the mess in Jerusalem, reshifting the culture in Jerusalem. Get rid of the Romans. Get rid of the people that hated you. Do away with your enemies. Jesus, just do it. Clean it up. Leave it nice and tidy. We know you can do it. We watched you do these amazing things. Ooh. It's not for you to know the hour of the day that the Son of Man will return because it's only going to be then when it gets tidy. But here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and you, boom, you, boom, me, boom, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth. See, Jesus answered their question, and it gets me excited. I'm sorry. It gets me excited because it's the same question we have today, isn't it? God, when are you going to come and fix the mess here? And Jesus is still going, ooh. You ain't going to know when I'm going to show up. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and power. And you're going to be a culture shifter. Disciples saw that coming to fulfillment in Acts chapter 2. Because when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, immediately they went out, filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter gives his first sermon in Acts 2, 17 through 21. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on earth below and the blood and fire and billows of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness, and moon to blood before the coming of the glorious day of the Lord. Talking about the return of Jesus, here's what I want you to hear. Because this is the sermon. This is the sermon. Here's the breakdown of the sermon. Point one, God's Holy Spirit has come to men, will continue to be poured out to men. Until when? Until we begin to see things shift and, and change. And that change is speaking of point number two, the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Hasn't happened yet. And here's the outcome of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon men. Verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we see here that this, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring us into this relationship that causes us to call upon the name of Jesus. What shifts a culture is when a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit begin to declare the name of Jesus, and people begin to call out upon the name of Jesus to be saved. How did Jesus do it? Alright. In John 4, 4-26, through 26, we see an interaction with Jesus and a, a woman in Samaria. And I, I'm going to just skip through some of this, but if you're there, you can read along with me. In verse 4 it says, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sitkar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So we see Jesus here, and the important thing that I want you to gather, and I want you to understand because we're talking about shifting a toxic culture the way Jesus would, is that I personally choose to believe that Jesus doesn't do anything on accident. And see, what you need to understand about Samaria is that Samaria was the arch-enemy of a good, God-fearing Jew. Matter of fact, it was, it was worse than enemy. I'm not, I'm not talking about like bulldogs and Indians type thing. This isn't like a Friday night rivalry gig. This is like looking at a group of people with the classification Samaritans looked at Jews with utter contempt and disgust. Jews looked at Samaritans with utter contempt and disgust. They considered each other the scum of the earth, literally the scum of the earth. There wasn't anybody on earth that God created that would be below them. They had utter disgust for each other. But Jesus chose to go to Samaria. He chose to bring his disciples through this place because I believe Being led by the Holy Spirit, Jesus was beginning to set a model that he needed his disciples. And even further down the line, us who are his disciples today to see. Because I believe in one aspect of this just amazing passage, Jesus began to give us a model on how to shift culture. This was not a culture that Jesus would have naturally associated with. This is not a culture that Jesus agreed with. This is not a culture that Jesus liked whatsoever in his flesh. This is some place that he went that was much different than him. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The question doesn't become odd understanding the difference between the two types and groups of people. This woman was being rude, intentionally being rude. If a Samaritan was on the side of the road dying, a Jew would walk right by without caring would maybe even spit in its direction, in the Samaritan's direction, and and vice versa. Now pause and think for a second. Jesus talked about another Samaritan, didn't he? In a parable form. He talked about the good Samaritan. And he gave a parable to the hearers there. Again, Jesus doing something that was a further stretch into understanding that things have to shift in our hearts in order for culture to shift. And he used the idea of a Samaritan being the hero in a parable for the very purpose of understanding that in order for us to see the fulfillment of what Jesus declared at the ascension, we have to be a people filled with the Holy Spirit that move past some of the differences that we hold in culture. So this woman's question is not, it's direct, it's, it's personal. She's going... Hey, I don't like you, and you shouldn't be asking me for a drink because you stink, sucker. <laughs> Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God, who is and who it is that ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Of course, her sarcasm is bleeding through this conversation. Jesus is doing something that's transcending the the, the tenseness in the culture right here. She goes on and says, Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it, as did also his sons and his livestock? I want to pause and just give you brief history. Because a Samaritan would believe the first five books, what we call the Torah. But after that, they did not recognize any of God's prophets. They did not recognize any of prophets, nor did they believe in the fulfillment of a Messiah to come. The one thing that they held to, the ground that they held to, was where they were sitting there in Samaria, which is called Jacob's well, was a place that was given, that they believed was given by God to them as a sacred place. Further in this conversation, she goes on as she recognizes what Jesus is doing and speaking to and gets a little bit more religious. Here's my point, is that when we hit culture, the most important thing that we have to do is escape religious conversation. Because listen to what Jesus is doing. Jesus is doing what Jesus came to do. And he's beginning to to dive into the core of what is really the need for this woman. But yet her sarcasm and her hardness of her heart still remains. Here's Jesus' response in verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, speaking of the well water from Jacob's well. Here's what Jesus is saying. Your sacred place isn't bringing you any life, is it? What you're camping out on religious truth, if it's not bringing you life, has it have any worth? Jesus says, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Hmm. The woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming to here to draw water. This woman's heart is beginning to soften. She doesn't quite understand, but her heart is being softened. He told her, and this is where Jesus gets amazingly crafty. He says, go and call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is, the fact is, the fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now—you now you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. In verse 19, we see the conversation shift completely. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This woman hits a crossroads in her heart. And I'm going to bring this all around, but I want to give you a background, okay? So just stay with me, please. This woman hits this point, And again, it fortifies the revelation that we all must carry. Truth without freedom is not truth. Because this woman comes and says, listen, you're picking my mail. You're telling me things that nobody else knows. Now, I'm beginning to see that this isn't just a happenstance conversation, but you, you designed this because you, you're a prophet. This is a woman that doesn't recognize prophets, not Jewish prophets. She goes, I see that you're a prophet. And so her response is this. Our ancestors say, we come and we worship on this mountain. And you Jews, your God says that you go and you worship in Jerusalem. Here's what she's doing is she's clinging to the last little bit of her truth, and I love 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 what Jesus did. See, she wasn't lying, she wasn't far, she wasn't off the truth, but her truth didn't have any power to make her free. Her truth didn't have any power. Her knowing where to worship did not make her free. It did not make her a woman free from condemnation. It did not make her a woman free from the brokenness that caused broken relationships. It did not make her a free woman. Her knowing where to worship did not make her free. She looks at Jesus and is saying, are you telling me where to shift my worship at Because you're talking to me like somebody who's never talked to me before. Are you telling me to go down Jerusalem so I can get it right, get it straight, that I might be free? And Jesus says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit and His worshipers must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus goes and says, Listen woman, there is a God who knows you. He knows you so much that I'm here. He knows you so much that he really didn't care about the, 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 the problems that we have between our cultures. He loves you so much that he set up this interaction. He loves you so much that not only does he know how many people you've been with, how many failed relationships you've had, but he knew where you were going to be at noon. And Jesus says, listen, it's not on a mountain. It's not in Jerusalem. My father wants to know you personally. See, he knows you personally. He loves you personally. And when you begin to receive him personally, you're going to be free. Free indeed. Jesus brings it home. The woman said, I know that that Messiah called Christ. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. Her heart is turned. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Her hope has been restored. She doesn't quite see. Then Jesus declared, this is the declaration, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. Freedom is here. Three things about culture existing is this, and it existed with this woman, is that our existing culture, the way culture stands right now in our society without transformation, exists like this. Our culture isolates based on sides. It isolates Based on sides, Democrats, Republicans, moral, immoral, old school, modern, generationally, race, black, white, Hispanic, religion, Muslim, Christian. Culture existing isolates in the very same way that in this passage that we just read here, culture isolated itself. There were boundaries, there were lines. There were fences. There were things that separated. The problem with isolation is this. Is that even so, even if some of these things cannot be crossed, and please understand what I'm saying to you this morning is that I'm not advocating a blurred line. I'm not. But what I'm telling you is that the, God is looking for a people, young and old, to stand up with a deeper revelation in their heart than isolation, and that's love. The second thing about culture existing is that it exists based on opinions that are rooted in experience and not in truth. Culture existing today, our culture today exists on opinions that are rooted in experience, not in truth. That's extremely dangerous Because it says this, that my experience defines my truth about me and about you. Think about that for just a second. Think about why we are seeing in mass rioting in our country. Why? Because there are groups of people that stand up and say, my experience creates an opinion in my life that is so powerful that it transcends to you. I hope that makes sense. Because this woman that Jesus was talking to had an opinion about Jesus, and it took this narrative, this story, this conversation to go down the line before she began to realize that he, she wasn't talking to just a Jew. She wasn't even just talking to a prophet. She was talking to the Messiah, the one who frees people. See, Jesus is truth. Period. Jesus is truth, and in order for our experiences to give way, they have to give way to something greater than just the pain or the experiences of our life. They have to give way to truth. There is only one truth that can set you free, and that truth is Jesus, period. The other problem with our opinions that are rooted in experience is this, is that our experience will only allow us to go as far as our fear. If we experience something, even if it's been passed down generationally, that we have been taught that is fearful about somebody else that is different from us, if we live a life and allow culture to be guided by our experiences and not truth, Our experiences will limit us because they will only allow us to go as far as our fear. What if transformation is three steps past your fear? See, because when Jesus ascended to heaven. uh, When Jesus ascended to heaven, he he just said this. He said, listen, you're going to be my disciples in Jerusalem. They're like, check, we got it. We like Jerusalem, Judea. Yeah, yeah, it's not too far. Check. Samaria. What, what, did, he, what, what did he just say? He wants us to, uh, like the parable of Jesus, like the one, uh, the uttermost parts of the earth. What? What? They're not even like half Jews out there. They're not even like, you know, kind of like, they don't even understand us. They do weird things. They worship like lots of gods. You want us to do what? Don't worry, my spirit. My Holy Spirit's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to give you power. Jesus is truth, period. The Holy Spirit's come to remind us of the truth, Jesus, period. Jesus, the truth, moves us past our fear. Our culture existing produces false truth absent of freedom. It asks us to be tolerant. It asks us to accept tolerance without the responsibility without responsibility or consequence. The problem with tolerance without responsibility or consequence is that it's not tolerance at all, is it? It's not. No. Listen, young generation, I want you to hear me on this, please. Because this is about to be in your hands. Can I, Can I, let me pause, let me pause. All right. I feel like I got to pause. I really, I really dreaded this message. I'm not, I'm not joking with you. So I preached it to my kids yesterday. <laughs> and, and I realized that I watched my kids as I preached this message and they just looked at me like I had three heads. I didn't do it on purpose. I just started to lay it out. But I looked at him and I said, hey, listen, I want you to understand that these things that you're seeing today, they're going to be in your hands to bring change. There is a tolerance in the world that the world needs to hear. And that tolerance is called grace. But grace comes with a stipulation and grace comes with the stipulation of humility. To turn to the one who's offering grace, and to n- yield yourself, and say, "I trust, and I believe, and I lay down my life for you." Jesus is the truth. All right. So here's what Jesus did. Okay. Here's what Jesus did. What we have to do to transform culture. First thing Jesus did is that he broke down walls by engaging, engaging an unfriendly and unpopular culture. Jesus broke down walls by engaging in unfriendly and unpopular culture. If we are going to be a people led by the Holy Spirit, we have got to engage a culture that we might not agree with. Jesus was intentional. He was intentional. He knew the situation before it happened. He made sure that it happened. There are people that you work with, people that you go to school with, people that you live beside that do not have the same beliefs. Do not have the same agenda plans that you have. You do not agree on most things, but yet Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them. And he asks us to be intentional about engaging them. About engaging them even though we don't agree with them. We don't see eye to eye with them. Engaging them in a place of grace. Engaging them in a place where we are unafraid. Unafraid. And that's the other thing that I think is remarkable in this story that I love so much about Jesus is that not only was he intentional, but he was unafraid. You say, well, what did he have to be afraid of with a woman? He didn't have anything except for his reputation. Jesus was already being blasted as a friend of prostitutes and sinners. But yet, Jesus wasn't afraid to add one more to the list, and that was a Samaritan. He was unafraid. And I think one of the greatest things that we have, friends, is this, is the ability to tap into the Holy Spirit and to gather the courage that we need to to begin to engage a culture. Notice that I didn't say embrace, did I? I said engage. Engage a culture with the one thing that can transform them, and that is Jesus Christ, because Jesus is freedom. Jesus was not afraid to engage the culture. Jesus was missional. This is one of the things that there's a movement in the body of Christ that I absolutely love and adore, and I think that we embrace this, and we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to embrace it even more. It's to be missional. To understand this one truth is that Jesus is not just for me. Jesus does not just exist for my happiness, for my peace, for my prosperity, for my health. He does. He absolutely will. He absolutely does those things. But the reason why he does those things is that you can do so that you will do, you and I will do what Jesus asked his disciples to do to go and to carry the message of the kingdom. That's what it means to be missional. Jesus was missional. What do you see your neighborhoods as? What do you see this workplace as? Let me give you a big, big, big picture thing. What do you see this country as? Because, friends, in gentleness and grace and love, God's never given the mandate, the order, or the command to tuck and run. So he gave a promise early on in the Gospels in Matthew 4 and 5, and he says, listen, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then in John 1, it tells us this, that there's something that darkness cannot ever win against. Guess what it is? Light. And Jesus looked at us and said, you are the light of the world. And here's the revelation that comes, is that when we choose to be intentional, and we ask the Holy Spirit, not because we're trying to check off something on the list as a good Christian, but we're living in tune with the Holy Spirit. When we choose to be unafraid, and we choose to see our life and the people around us is missional, what happens is that we actually begin to live as salt and light and we begin to see a transformation. The second thing that I love about Jesus that He did here in this story is that He went to the source of the need. He began to talk in verses 13 and 14 about this idea that there's actually living water. There's something more than just physical water being drawn from Jacob's well, that there's something bigger than being at the well that day with this woman, that there's living water. Jesus saw the need, and he brought her to the source. Jesus saw the need, and he brought her to the source. And listen, if if there is a batting order to anything that Jesus gave us in the form of a model or a command to transform culture, it has to start with the truth that we have to be absolutely in tune with the Holy Spirit. It's not accidental that today is Pentecost. See, this is not something the church can stand up and do in some kind of strength that we possess. This is something that must be empowered with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we become like the Samaritan woman who just stand up and say, we worship here, you worship there, we know what's right, you know what's wrong, and no... See, because Jesus moved past all of that and he said, listen, let me begin to blow your mind a little bit. You're here to pull up natural water, but I want to take you to a place where you get living water where when you drink from it, you don't ever thirst again. Jesus saw the need in this woman's heart. He wasn't trying to just do something to blow her mind. He saw what she needed, and he took her to the source. And the only way that culture will be transformed is when a people called by God's name, in love with Jesus, are led by the Holy Spirit. My kids asked me the best question when I'm preaching this to them yesterday. My oldest daughter looked at me and said, well, how do we do that? It's not in my notes, Maddie. I said, No, that's a beautiful question. It's a simple answer. And it goes back to a foundational truth that Jesus said at the ascension when he said, Listen, go and wait for my spirit to come. We got to be a people who are in love with the Holy Spirit. We got to be a people who are in tune with the Holy Spirit. We got to be a people that are a Romans 8 people that live as sons and daughters of God, tied into the intimacy of our Father as Daddy. Our Father God as Daddy. We've got to be a people that cultivate that. Why? Because if you don't, you are not going to ever be intentional, you're not ever going to be unafraid, and you never will be missional. When we live lives apart, From an intimacy with the Holy Spirit, we go into apathy. Don't raise your hand, but think about times that you felt distant from the Lord. Have you been cultivating any kind of intimacy with the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. But isn't it funny that you could come into times like this and you can have worship that's just going off the... It's, it's, it's anointed. It's powerful. And all of a sudden, that reconnection hits and you feel in touch with the Holy Spirit. And it's like there's a download happening. Why is that? Here's why. It's because it's the way, as a son and daughter of God, you were created to live. And when you live in that place, you are able to see the need that exists in fellow students' lives, and coworkers' lives, and children that maybe aren't walking with the Lord right now, but you're able to see the need. Jesus saw the need. He saw the need. He saw the need, and he took this lady to the source. And finally, Jesus did what is absolutely imperative to have. Happened in order for culture to be transformed. Is that Jesus gave freedom. Jesus brought her to where freedom is. Brought her to himself. It's only. Justin, come on up. It's only in truth that. We can be free. This is where we started today. It's only in the truth of Jesus Christ that we can be free not subjective truth or experiential truth but the truth that is Jesus Christ again John 8:32 you will know the truth Jesus said this like pastor Spud said this is red letter and the truth will set you free Jesus was speaking about himself see there's only one truth that can set us free that can set our spirits free And if there's one just powerful need that our nation has looked to many different things and has not found has looked waywardly to many different things and not yet found it's this is freedom it's freedom because when we look fully into the eyes of Jesus what we begin to see is this this truth that makes us free we we see the condition of our spirit apart from God our life apart from God this is what happened to this woman She got to the place that this wasn't banter, this wasn't sarcasm, this wasn't hatred that was spewing out of her mouth to Jesus. But she began to view her life when Jesus read her mail. Jesus was not just doing a shop trick here. He wasn't just using the prophetic gift to blow her mind. He was opening up the doors of her heart so that she could see her life separated from the knowledge of God, from the Spirit of God. And when she saw it, she felt ashamed and she felt condemned. But see, the truth that is Jesus doesn't stop there because we look past that place and we look into the loving eyes of our Father. I believe that's why this woman looked at Jesus and said, you just tell me where I need to worship. Because I know I'm broken. I just want to be free. And Jesus pointed at her and said, listen, the day has come now. There is a God here today, and He's here for you today, who loves you and wants to know you. And He doesn't want you to go to a mountain. He doesn't want you to go to a city. He doesn't want you to go to a temple. He doesn't want you to go to a prayer room. He wants to know you where you are. She looked into the loving eyes of her father, a father that did not just see Jews, but saw Samaritans down the line and didn't just see Samaritans, saw white and black. He didn't just see Christians, but saw Muslims and Hindus and saw all of the creation that His Father and He had created and loves passionately. And when He stares down into creation, He stares through the eyes of the Father who loves man. And He does this so that we begin to see our identity that the Father has created for us. When we see the sacrifice that was made ready and necessary through Jesus Christ to restore our identity as sons and daughters of God, and we look to Jesus, we become free. We become free. It's only in the truth that is Jesus that our spirits can be free. Now let me just take it one more place really quick as we close. It's only in freedom that we can experience truth. Here's what I mean. I'm not trying to be witty. But here's what I mean. Jesus is looking for a people, and this is where true, I believe, true culture transformation takes place. Is when a people who are truly free begin to declare the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ that makes men free. There's all sorts of sides that will argue different things. They'll even argue different things about God and who God is. Again, it's no different than the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. She was trying to prove that her God, her version of God was better than Jesus's. But see, there's something so powerful about a life that's been truly set free, isn't there? Because that truth really can't be undermined, can it? when we stand up as a free people and we say, listen, I understand what you're saying and I understand what you believe, but can I just tell you about the lover of my soul, Jesus Christ, who set me free. Who broke addiction in my life. Who healed my body. Who transformed my heart of hatred and broke that heart of stone. See, when we begin to be the people that walk in that true freedom and into the world the truth begins to be something that is bigger than just words and sides and experiences, but becomes a truth that can in turn make people free. Jesus is freedom. This morning, I I think, listen, this stuff is just right here, isn't it? It's on our doorstep. There's, There's no moving. There's no budging. There's no closing the door and going into the back room and hoping it goes away. Can I just, just, just boldly say that, that Jesus isn't scared? Because of you, a people who walk in freedom, who understand there's a time and a place to stand up in the truth, but the truth must be accompanied with grace, that there has to be an intention about the people we go to and a difference in the way we see our cities and our neighborhoods as being places we're called to. A people led by the Spirit of God in love with the Holy Spirit, walking in true freedom to give freedom away. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you that in you there is freedom. Jesus, there's so many things, right, you know this, that are happening right now. But Lord, we just want to declare a few truths. And as we declare them to you, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with the revelation of these truths. Jesus, you came and you died for all men. Because you love mankind. You love mankind. So Holy Spirit, make that revelation alive in us. Jesus, you are the truth. So Holy Spirit, please make truth well up in us, not truth that's based in our experiences. And Father, this morning there may be some here that have painful experiences that have guided a version of truth in their life. So Holy Spirit, come and heal their hearts. Jesus, be the freedom that truly sets them free, no matter what's taking place. Be freedom, be healing, be life. But Holy Spirit, allow the truth of Your Word, the truth of who You are, to rise up in us past the place of just standing, but to a place of speaking. To a place of involvement and movement and speaking and And doing and being the truth that You've called us to be. Father, allow grace and truth to come through us. That is who You are, Jesus. The Word made flesh in grace and truth. Let that well up and exist and live in us, Holy Spirit. Jesus, You are freedom. Freedom. So let freedom reign. Holy Spirit, let freedom reign in every heart. Let freedom reign in every heart in this place. Break down the hardness of heart in in our lives that separates us from the revelation of your freedom that you came to give. Let the identity of the love of the Father begin to secure every heart and let them know, let us all know that we are sons and daughters called by your name. Let your freedom reign in our lives. God, we're asking you for something else that you promised. That you promised, Lord God, as a people. Lord, in love with your Holy Spirit as we call on your name for this nation, God, that you would hear us. And so, Lord, we're asking you to move. God, as you move in our lives, move, Lord, in this land. Lord, move on the Officials, Father God, move on the teachers, Lord God. Give them strength and courage and boldness to stand, to be what You have asked and called them to be. God, as we humble ourselves, as we turn to You, Lord, of course we know we've done some things that have dishonored You. And God, we repent and we humble ourselves and we turn to the truth. But God, we ask that You heal our land for this generation and the generations to come until Your return. We ask you, God. Father, I just declare, Lord, over every person here that, Father, there are folks here that have children, Lord, that, Father, that they don't even share belief systems with. God, Lord, let grace and truth and love and mercy reign in the name of Jesus. Father, we just place a hedge of protection around this generation, Lord God that are in schools right now, and the ones coming up, Father, the ones that you see, Lord, your children, your little ones, Father God, Lord, we establish a hedge of protection around them, that, Father, that they will hear and know your voice, Lord, that they will know your voice, Jesus, that they will know your voice, and the voice of another that they will not follow. God, I thank you, Lord, that you promised, just like on the day of Pentecost, that you would pour out your Spirit upon all flesh, Holy Spirit, come and be poured out upon that generation that they may have eyes to see and ears to hear, that they would be in tune with Your Spirit, that they would be led by Your Spirit as sons and daughters knowing the great love of Daddy God. Lord, thank You also that You don't do anything on accident. And that as a people, God, With your same Holy Spirit in us, that you placed us in this moment in history, Lord, to be the change. To be the change, Lord, let us see this world with your eyes, we pray, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.